Let's look to our Lord together in prayer. And Father, we begin by praying for your sense of your presence. Father, we have this opportunity on this New Year's Day that connects itself to the Lord's Day of being able to think about first things and who's preeminent. Preeminent over time, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who was, is, and will be. We thank you, Father, that you are the God who broke into time by sending Jesus Christ into this world to die for our sins. On a day like today, we become time conscious. And we're thinking about what's coming our way in 2017, and we want to be well prepared. What better way to prepare our hearts and our minds than to receive the bread and the cup, to ponder what's behind us and what's before us, to be able to see how the cross is transformational, and it ties past, present, and future all together and allows us, Father, to evaluate where we're at in relationship to you and where our lives are headed. So, Father, in these minutes that you give us in this meditation upon your word, it's our prayer that once again that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wills, For again, Father, we've come here on this Lord's Day to see Jesus and him only. And praying these things again now in in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was pondering this passage of Scripture, there's a particular book that stood out that has an illustration that I think has direct bearing upon the verses that we're that we're meditating upon this morning. The book's entitled A Resilient Life. It's very clear that the author knows something about this whole matter of the race, marathons, running. He puts it together like this, that when the guns sounded, the man in lane one seemed to disappear out of his blocks and the remaining six runners and myself instantly settled for a race for second place. We ran the first turn in staggered lanes and then bunched together along the straightaway. And then as we neared the far curve, the runners now stretching out, I saw him. The man in lane one, no longer running like lightning, but slowing almost to a jog, hands on his hips, quitting the race and his teammates. And as I tore around him, I heard a loud groan, a combination of the pain of exhaustion and a sense of frustration. Often when I tell the story, in this important moment in my own spiritual development, I smile and I say to the crowd, well, like a good Christian, I, I waited for him at the finish line, quote-unquote. But when the race ended three laps later and our team began to celebrate its performance, my coach 
a remarkable man, a man who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, put his hand on my shoulder, drew me aside where no one else could hear us, and said, I want you to remember this moment all the days of your life and these words that are associated with this moment. Here is what you must never forget. It makes little difference how fast you are in the 100 meters when the race is 400 meters long. And that has direct bearing upon the way in which we approach 2017. It makes little difference how fast you are in the 100 meters when the race is 400 meters long. We can't treat a marathon like a sprint, and nor can we treat a sprint like a marathon. We have to be able to evaluate the course and be able to prepare ourselves mentally, but more so spiritually, for the beginning the challenges along the way, and what it takes to find what we'll call that leg kick for the end. And so what I want to do with you, with athletic imagery in front of us, these two verses, which coincides with so much of the athletic imagery of this weekend, is to draw two significant insights I see here in the way in which the one who is a believer in particular this morning is to run what God has designed for you and for me, what is described in these two verses as the race. And the first is found in verse 1, and we're going to put it like this. I want you to note with me first the dedication involved in running the race, bearing this in mind. That in the Roman Empire, the time period in which the book of Hebrews was penned around 60 A.D., only citizens, only citizens of the Roman Empire could run the race. If you are a citizen of heaven, born again, having put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are one who is to run this race prescribed by God. And what I want to draw out for you now is to look very carefully at the dedication that is necessary for running this race as we project towards 2017 and beyond is to understand the essentials of dedication. Notice how this begins. It begins with the word, therefore. Now, you're a student of God's word. You come across the word, therefore, and you naturally ask the question, and what's therefore? Therefore, right? Well, the answer to that question is that he's building off of everything that he wrote in the prior chapter. And beginning in verse 1 of the 11th chapter, what you and I find is what we might deem or call the Hall of Fame of racing, running, where God identifies particular what I'll call forerunners, who've gone before us in running the spiritual race that God has ordained. Notice how this begins here. 
Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then God goes out of his way to begin to identify what I will call these forerunners, men and women who have run the race before you and I have. So we can ask ourselves the question, what's therefore, therefore? He wants you to look back and to see how others have applied faith to the race that you and I are engaged in. Take, for example, that man in verse 4, Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Chapter 11, verse 4. What stands out here? Abel lost his life because he offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. What that tells you and tells me then that faith is threatened in the times in which we live. And that there is no easy way going about and running this race. If you run for Jesus Christ, there can be loss involved in the process. What fascinates us is that Cain, the one who took Abel's life, was a highly religious man. He too brought an offering to God. But his offering was not acceptable to God. If we are going to continue to work with the metaphor of the race, we bear in mind then that those that are running with us, we could easily deem religious unbelievers, men and women alike, who think what they are doing is simply acceptable to God, but have not put their faith and trust in the one who came to die for our sins, the ultimate forerunner, Jesus Christ. Or you can allow your eyes to continue on moving downward to verse 8 of that 11th chapter of the Hall of Fame of Runners, and you ponder the significance of the name Abraham, and here is a man in Old Testament times who put his faith and trust in the promised one to come. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 15. He was saved like you and I, He was saved by putting his faith and trust in the one who would come. We have put our faith and trust in the one who has come, Jesus Christ, and it all converges at the cross. And then there's Moses. Moses, in verse 23, where for 40 years God had ordained a course for him to run, and it was in the wilderness. Lonely. Challenging, my favorite example of leadership in all of Scripture, Moses himself, hard, difficult, longing to be able to enter the promised land, only to find at the very end that that was not what God had ordained for him, and he would have to pass the baton onward to Joshua. Now, where are you in the Hall of Fame matter where you can take the therefore, answer the question, what's therefore, therefore, and say, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. The word witnesses in verse 1 is from the Greek word machos. We get the word martyr. In other words, these were people who knew that the course was not easy. They understood that the course is hard. God has not created a leisurely course for believers. 
We can't assume once we are saved, therefore the pain is gone. The suffering is behind us, and now the way forward goes easy because it wasn't that way, you see, for Jesus Christ. So now, we aren't shocked then by the fact we look at the Hall of Fame of Runners in chapter 11 that's described here in chapter 12, verse 1, as the cloud of witnesses because they are literally the cloud of martyrs. And what are they teaching you? And what are they teaching me at this time? What they're teaching you and teaching me is that we are going to be challenged at this point to, first of all, go through adequate preparation. And what is the preparation process? Notice the next phrase. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now the runner wants to make absolutely certain that he is not and she is not creating a sense of obstacles that are unnecessary a sense of resistance to forward movement, but rather they can do what is necessary to lay aside all the hindrances so they can be efficient and effective in their forward movement and advancement. You're continuously asking yourself the question when you get out of the starting block, have I advanced further than where I was last year at this time? Am I closer to Jesus this year as compared to last year at this time? Where am I on this course that God has designed for me? In order to be able to advance more effectively and more efficiently, we are to lay aside two particular elements. One, every weight, not some, but every which tells me then that here God is inspiring this writer to speak generally. Now, you and I have got to ask ourselves, and what is weighing me down? Is there a broken relationship that needs to be addressed? Are there misplaced priorities that are going to have to be addressed? Notice that he does not eliminate the word weight and simply and exclusively speak of the word sin. He speaks first generically, and so we've got to ask ourselves, well then, in light of all this, what weighs me down and keeps me from advancing and drawing closer to Christ? And then secondly, and this is what communion is designed to do, to force me to ask the tough questions about what particular sins right now are so entangling me and keeping me from forward advancement in the way in which I am meant to run this race. God has used particular phrases throughout the Scriptures to describe this race. Like Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle, to the strong. And then for that person who feels as though, I don't even have endurance to get through New Year's Day, let alone 2017, 
God says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Make this personal. Would you do this? They will soar on wings like eagles. Isn't that great? They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I'm struck with the fact that even the New Testament in Acts 13.25, John the Baptist fulfilled his course. And that Paul likewise would write in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so what we are pondering now is that there is this whole matter of setting aside every weight, not some, picking and choosing, but every weight, whatever it is that is weighing you down, where you have the biblical responsibility of removing it, and furthermore, the sin which clings so closely, and you address it, and you address it effectively. I would say of the various marathons throughout the nation, the one that at least I'm most familiar with is the Boston Marathon. Now, some of you who are able to go back that far might remember a particular scandal that happened in 1980 when the amateur runner Rosie Ruiz came out of nowhere to win the women's race. Some of you remember this. You see, the marathon officials became suspicious when it was discovered that Ruiz did not appear in race videotapes until near the end of the race. There was an investigation. And a subsequent investigation concluded that Ruiz had skipped most of the race and blended into the crowd about a mile before the finish line. Where she then ran to her apparent victory. Now, what strikes me is that God has established the course. And when you run this race, some of us are going to be running with physical challenges in 2017. Others of us are going to be confronted with financial realities in 2017. Work-related issues. Am I going to shortcut it? Or am I going to find, biblically, what is necessary to run this race according to the way in which God has prescribed for me to run? Not recourse it. Take detours, skip out, and then simply show up the finish line and hope that I'm acceptable before God like a Cain rather than an Abel. So there's the preparation involved. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. It comes under this category, you see, of dedication. But dedication not only involves the proactive preparation. You've looked back over the Hall of Fame of runners. You find your inspiration there. The great cloud of witnesses, literally the great cloud of martyrs, who have counted the cost, 
And furthermore, you prepared yourself personally by laying aside weights. The things that weigh you down may not necessarily even be sins. They may be misplaced priorities. Where we settle, instead of dealing with the best, simply the good, on the good, better, best continuum of life. Not to mention the sins, you see, that cling so closely that they almost identify with us and us with them. And we simply quasi-approach the race as, well, that's just who I am. Rather than distinguishing ourselves from those sins. You and I are called now, not only in this matter of dedication, to be involved with preparation, but furthermore, to embrace perseverance. You're still in verse 1. You've laid aside every weight. That's the preparation and sin which clings so closely. But now the perseverance. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now notice with me that the end of verse 40, in the hall of fame of running, there were two us's. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So God was thinking about you when he had already listed all those forerunners in the Hall of Fame of Running. And now you couple that us, the twofold us in the prior chapter of verse 40, with a twofold us in verse 1 of chapter 12. Let us run with endurance, verse 1. The race that is set before whom? Us. You're still in verse 1. So he's very personal about you as you're getting out of the blocks at the beginning of 2017. And what does he tell you to do? He wants you to run with endurance. And so significant is this word to God. Not once, not twice, not three times, four times. That word endurance or endured is used in various ways. In verse 1, it ends with endurance, the race set before us. In verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. In verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him. And to top it off in verse 7, is for discipline that you have to endure. But you are saying, do I really have to endure what I've got to endure? Well, consider the Boston Marathon. Back to it once again. You know, for those that run it, there's the last of the four Newton Hills, known as Heartbreak Hill. It comes in the portion of the marathon distance where muscle glycogen stores are most likely to be depleted, a phenomenon known among marathoners, and there are those in this congregation who know what this means. Hitting the wall. Hitting the wall. Whereas one writer who has run the race puts it, those who compete in the Boston Marathon are well acquainted with Heartbreak Hill. 
slow and long, tortuous climb through the streets of Newton. About two-thirds of the way into the 26-mile race, it's an old heartbreak that the best runners break from the pack and prove their superiority. Now, this heartbreak hill comes from the story of a time in 1936 when the defending champion, John Kelly, overtook Tarzan Brown in the marathon, giving him a a consolation pat on the shoulder as he passed him by, heading toward the finish line. But the writer tells us that this gesture renewed the competitive drive in Tarzan Brown, who rallied, pulled ahead of the back-patting Kelly, and went on to win, and thereby, it was said, breaking Kelly's heart. Heartbreak Hill. And if you and I were to walk the streets of Boston, maybe go on the Freedom Trail and other such settings, you and I would find that at the foot of Heartbreak Hill is the Heartbreak Hill Running Company that takes full advantage of the fact that people hit the wall and so they have positioned themselves, their running company headquarters right there for all things you need necessary in, in the whole realm of running effectively and efficiently. Personalized shoe fittings, the best apparel, accessories, expert coaching on the whole matter when it comes to hitting the wall. And then they've got a great big picture of the people who buy shoes from their company and are gathered together. It's the Heartbreak Gang that's photographed. Now, somewhere in 2017, gut feel you're going to hit the wall. At this point, you've got to ponder the significance of what this writer has penned here. He knows something about the games, whether it be the Isthian games or the old Greek Olympics, paving the way for what would take place in Circus Maximus, picturing at that point, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, in my mind, where the runners in front of 300,000 spectators Citizens only would run the race and then be crowned by the emperor, the one who would run. So now you and I are called to run with endurance, not leisurely. To run with endurance the race that is set before us. And as noted in your insert, the word race comes from the Greek word of which we get the word agony. What the writer is telling you and me then is that 2017 could be an agonizing course to run. This is no straw in the park. And the question is, have I adequately prepped myself, as noted in the beginning of verse 1, And have I equipped myself mentally to persevere 
as noted in the end of verse 1, preparation and perseverance grouped under that heading, the dedication involved in running the race. Now, once you've embraced the sum total of verse 1, then on this New Year's Day, New Year's Day weekend, here's the other aspect of this race. Note, second of all, the concentration involved in running the race. Verse 2. Looking around you at the other runners? No. Looking to Jesus. Now, we get distracted in the midst of running the race. And it is so easy, if we have not adequately prepped ourselves, to get weighed down by the weights that should have been removed and the sin that entangles. And now then, we become distracted. If verse 1 deals with what was behind us, verse 2 deals with who is before us. Jesus. Peter's in the boat. And there's Jesus, and he's walking on water. And Peter, and Peter calls out, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Listen to the wording. But when he saw the wind, it doesn't say, but when he saw the Lord. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. At that point, he was not looking to Jesus. He was looking elsewhere. One of the great challenges that you and I will face in 2017 is to address the question, am I looking to Jesus? Or am I looking elsewhere? Now, in all fairness to Peter, he's the only one that got out of the boat. Everybody else played it safe. I love his gutsiness, don't you? He got out of the boat. But he took his eyes off Jesus. Now, whatever it is that could distract you, address it now through the bread and the cup so that you are spiritually prepared, equipped, to persevere, and to stay disciplined and look to Jesus, you see, in the midst of all this. And when you're able to do that, you keep working the process here, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You tie that word then to how Hebrews 11 began and how Hebrews 11 ended. It's all about faith at this point. So you're not merely walking by faith. You are running in faith. You see, and as you're looking to Jesus at this point, and you're finding yourself fixated, focused upon the one that you love, 
and the one in whom you believe. What you and I find is that there are three distinguishing characteristics about the one that you are concentrating upon, looking to. Notice how it phrases itself. Who for the joy that was set before him, number one, endured the cross. The cross. The place of substitution. Where Jesus Christ would die on that cross to save us from our sins. And then cry out, as the Greek language would put it, tetelestai, it is finished. The course, you see, is completed. Now, when you look at that and you are saying, that's my inspiration, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, number one, endured the cross, practically, and furthermore, even verbally. How do, I, how do I live this out? On that cross, the first word of the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The last word on the cross was, Father, into your hands I commit my, thy, my spirit. In other words, he bookended what was necessary to endure the cross. And he expressed it so verbally that he was still seeking forgiveness to those who would wound him and at the same time addressing his relationship with the sovereign God in whom he would entrust all things to. Are you able, in the midst of enduring this course, to be able to say, Lord, forgive him. Wounded me. If I'm going to run this race well in 2017, forgiveness is going to have to be a hallmark, and I'm going to have to connect forgiveness and faith together. And can I take that phrase, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And I, can I pray, and Father, into your hands, I commit this job. Into your hands, I commit this health matter. Into your hands, I commit that child. Into your hands, I commit that relationship, you see. Or am I just simply going to keep it in my hands? Number one, he endured the cross. Number two, despising the shame. Literally, he scorned the scorn. You ever been scorned? He doesn't scorn the scorners. He's already cried out, forgive them. They know not what they do. He scorns the scorn. He treats it lightly, what they're saying about him. Are you able to do the same? And out of this, thirdly, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, taken from Psalm 110, verse 1, which is a messianic psalm. And it speaks of what theologians call the session of Christ. Where after the accession of Christ, where he ascended into heaven, there is the ongoing session of Christ, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. 
So you pull all this together. Not once, not twice, not three times. Four times do you have that word pertaining to the idea of endure. And out of this, we think of that wise track coach. It makes little difference how fast you are in the 100 meters when the race is 400 meters long. Question, are you willing to see it through by faith in Christ alone? Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can start off this year, this new year, stay with the Lord's Day. And the bread and the cup, which allows us to not only look back, but to look ahead. What's behind us and who's before us. So out of all this, Father, I pray that we can evaluate very carefully what it is that weighs us down. What particular sins that seem to be clinging so close that I'm not getting a sense of release. And show each one here that it's out of that sense of release that we'll have a sense of relief. And we'll be able to run freely the course that you've described and prescribed. So, Father, we commit the bread and the cup now into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.